Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. Um, let me think. I got my first vaccine dose. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was it, are you, what happened? Are you tired? Do you? No, I'm tough. I'm tough. No, no but uh, I went to the to Rite Aid. Um, I wanted to go with a name brand because I figured if I travel and it says Rite Aid, maybe in another country, they're like, yeah, I know that. I trust you. Mm, so I don't, I don't yeah. I, not I sure if that matters, but it, I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah. It's but like it, almost well, like a corporate passport of the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, it, it, it was funny. I haven't had a shot in so many years, and I was like, oh, this is going to suck. And then I turned my face, and then it had already happened. I'm like, oh, really oh, yeah. didn't feel it. Yeah. Mm. And then the, then it's a bit like having a bruise. But I heard the, the second dose is more side effects of nausea or fatigue or things like that. Yeah, I think it depends. Like some people I, I know that have had the first, including my parents, and some people here have had fatigue on the first round. But whatever. Yeah, uh, but it's funny because everybody's always tired. So that, that's that causality. Like mm. a, a friend of mine, a friend of my parents is a general practitioner, and I asked him, "What's the main ailment? What's the main problem that people visit the doctor for?" And he's like, hey, "Just ninety-five percent of people come to my office saying I'm so tired." just so tired all the time what can you help me i'm just so tired and, mm. yeah and it's depression or the re- i mean it could it, be it can be a thousand things yeah. like it, it, Food, i think uh, I've, i have a lot of medical people in my family uh, like uncles my stepfather and it, so it's it's a very interesting topic and uh, one of the things like a broken knee or like mechanical problems like it's clearly that the 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 hospital is the best thing and it's uh, there's physical therapy, but there's also surgery, and it's very you can see it. Mm-hmm. But all the internal things of the like the symphony of all your organs and the chemicals and food and movement it's so complex. And uh, here's an example: like uh, a, f- a friend of mine had vertigo all the time, and she tried everything, and she would just sit on the couch and feel like the whole room was spinning for an hour, like for two years. Mm. It's terrible. And she tried all kinds of things, like this medicine, that medicine, nothing helped. And then she stopped her birth control, and then it was gone. Mm. But then I was speaking to a friend who's studying medicine. It's like, it could be that that was it, but it also could be that the problem was at its end. And this, there's no way of knowing unless you repeat it, and you're not going to repeat it. because. Mm. So, right, there's like a difference uh, between correlation and causality here. Yeah, exactly. And, and so... I think we're all trying to grasp the world and say it's because of this or that. And But being tired after a vaccine shot could mean many things. Like maybe you're relieved of the stress and then your body is like, oh, finally we're heading towards the end of the lockdown. And mm-hmm. so your, your body is like in repair mode mentally and like preparing for a better future. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I think there are a lot of conditions that I, I think even in terms of like, you know, mental health is a big topic and remote work is yeah, something yeah, we yeah, talk exactly. about a lot on this podcast, but it's really hard to separate the stress of the pandemic from whether remote work is a good idea or not. Like that's what I've, yeah. It's kind and, of and, and it's also sometimes you need a refreshment in your life. And so mm-hmm. I think seeing Christina, uh, when, when work from home started, it was a big relief for her because mm-hmm. I think her work was too much travel. And I think the travel can be very stressful and exhausting because you're not only working, you're also sleeping somewhere else. You don't sleep as well. You're traveling. You're not, yeah, you know. Yeah. 
And then after a year of lockdown, she's very happy to go back to the office one day a week and work with people on a physical prototype. And it's very rewarding after you've just been on conference calls yeah. for a year. I mean, yeah. one thing I've noticed is like communication. There's tons of tons of miscommunication. And I'm like, as a leader, I'm not communicating as effectively. And then I've noticed like yeah. other yeah. leaders I work with are frustrated because people aren't don't understand what they do, should do be you doing. Think, do you think this is a problem that it's just uh, we need better technology for collaborating remotely or it will never? Yeah. Like when, when, whenever you say technology will never replace a certain thing, just it, it's it's tricky. Like. I've been trying to figure this out because obviously I work remotely as an artist kind of most of the time, right? Like unless for I'm on years. site. Yeah, for years. Yeah. And then, yeah. but my day job, like I, I work in person and I've noticed I'm like far less effective. Like yeah. over the last yeah. year I've been, I've just been a lot less effective at what I do. It, like it takes more time to make a decision. Like in person you could figure yeah, that out. Yeah, the decisions are worse. Three times like, faster. Yeah, I'm working yeah. alone a lot and... Or the resignation will be like, well, I have to figure this out alone. At first, that was rewarding. Like, I felt like I was getting all this, like, big thinking done. But over time, I think it's resulted in, like, a lot of waste because normally you test hundreds and thousands of ideas, um, you know, a day almost at a point, you know, where you're exchanging with, you know, in my case, like, I could interact with like 50 or 60 people in a day at the office because I'd be like moving around from desk to desk yeah. or going to meeting but rooms. The, and then the promise of being at home is that you have more focus. You could turn yeah. off all the meetings, for which doesn't happen in reality. But you but, could say, okay, half the day is no communication and just focused research time. We're all these tools out now, like, you know, that are project management tools. Like, obviously, there was always Trello, which, you know, is now Jira, basically, and Monday.com and... Even we have project management tools in, in our app, and and I, that was always like championed as part of an agile workplace. But did you guys add stories to your app? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> funny you say stories because that's such a core component yeah. of how work is organized at a software company. It's all about stories. Yeah. But um, there is actually a stories for work um, startup <laughs> that we've tried. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the, all of these things though are trying to replace something that is otherwise natural. And so I think it's we're at this stage with software um, where the work environment, ironically, was kind of really um, not evolved in, digitally. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's still Word and Excel mostly. That, yeah. But <laughs> and, maybe it's it's similar to food where we, we try to, like, I think since the 50s, we've tried to replace natural f whole, whole grain, uh, whatever, uh, whole foods. Mm -hmm. We've tried to can them. We've tried to freeze them. We've tried to powdered them and whatever you do it's not as good as just eating the plant well there are really successful remote teams like whole companies like automatic who make wordpress Basecamp. Basecamp, yeah 37 signals yeah. um but do you know them personally or is that the pr spin that they want the world to believe mm, that's a good point I, i've known people to work at some remote only companies it does seem to like privilege a certain style of work and that's kind of like that's not what today's topic is but that is kind of something that i've noticed is that my even though I've worked as an artist solo, the type of work as I that I do as an artist ha doesn't doesn't translate into my work life. Um, working at scale, I just it's with five hundred folks, uh, five hundred people, it has just been challenging for me personally. Yeah, and I didn't expect that. I thought, oh, I'll just be an artist, but like um, uh, with an office, but it everyone is, ends up being yeah. a contractor almost. Like everyone's a freelancer. 
But it is funny when you see an accounting software and you would have to guess how many people are working on this. And I would be like, yeah, seven people could handle it. <laughs> yeah, it's like 500 people. But you know how yeah. much waste there is in miscommunication. I know. Like the more people, the more waste. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. More yeah. people does not equal more efficient always. Um, it can allow you to do more things, but doing one thing well with a lot of people, it, you can do it well. You can't just do it. Yeah. You just can't do it fast. Well, I, I remember Corey Archangel had a show with a, a laser animation of a basketball player, and he said that was a metaphor for the U.S. Like, oh, there's a lot of other countries that are more efficient and can use resources better, mm-hmm. but the U.S. is just taller. And there's that saying, you, you can't teach height. So they just do superstars in the U.S. kind of thing. No, but they, they, as a whole, the country, like if, if the whole country... That it, what I'm saying is I see. bigger companies are less efficient, but they're taller. Yeah, I see. They're more powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, anyway. Which maybe goes into uh, this week's... I want to introduce the... the you just the, do a segue. You don't normally he, do the segue, but you did it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Now, the, the, I wanted to introduce the speaker, and the, the question is about self-promotion, but the, the friend made mistake number one. He didn't introduce himself on the audio clip. Oh, no such thing uh, as mistakes. He, he was, no, he was but, thinking. But here's a tip: like, uh, let the people know who oh, you are. Promo, like, promo tip, we, right there. Well, we've we've received questions from different listeners, and sometimes their email header or their email name doesn't have their last name, so it's hard to find them. There's like these really simple things, mm. uh, best practices. But anyways, Joel Fox is a longtime friend. When I started out, I uh, met Miltus Manetas, and then I met. A bunch of other people, and Miltus had a exhibition space in LA called the Electronic Orphanage, and Joel Fox was one of the first artists to show there, and he was making flash animations and a mm. very particular style, and you can't really find them online anymore. He's he, he's someone who does a lot of different things, so he does time lapse, and he did animations for Yo Gabba Gabba and, and mm-hmm. for Disney, and he's he's kind of a he does a lot of different things, and so. I've known him since 2001, I think, so long time, but uh, let's have a listen to his question. And he sounds like Malcolm Gladwell, I'm just going to say it. Okay. <laughs> let's listen again. Though. Last week, you guys took on some risky and challenging questions. Good job. I think I have a little bit easier question for you this week. Raphael, you pointed out that most of the people you know who make a living as artists are hustling and doing self-promotion almost continuously. And Jeremy, you didn't seem to disagree, so it must be true. What are some examples of hustling and self-promotion that uh, you've seen be successful for people? What kinds haven't worked very good for people? And successful, I mean, obviously making a living, uh, thriving even, and not becoming some kind of tragic weirdo. So hustling and self-promotion, what kinds make you smile, and what kinds make you cringe? Thanks. Okay, Joel, thank you for the question. Yeah, so... well, It's, I, a, it's an awkward topic, no? Yeah, I mean, well, also I, I realize he's, he mentioned that um, if, I di- if I don't disagree with something, it must mean it's true. <laughs> so I'm going to be a little bit more self-conscious about disagreeing. Yeah. Um, yeah, what but makes it, you cringe? What make what? what well, what it, I think I think that the basic uh, premise of, of promotion is that if you tell someone 
that you are good yourself is not as believable as someone else saying that you are good. Like, mm. if if Coca-Cola says, maybe that Coca-Cola is not the best example, but if a coffee shop says we have the best coffee or if a famous coffee reviewer says they have the best coffee, it's, it's different. Mm. So you're starting from the premise of like, regardless of like how hard you work or hustle to promote yourself, regardless of promotion, there, there are certain status signifiers within, you could say the same thing, but without... There well, it's basic communication. Like, mm-hmm. like if, you, if you meet someone and it's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good. I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh. I don't believe it. This yeah. is going to be weird. And instead, if someone <laughs> says, have you heard of this person? He's, he or she is really hard to find and is very obscure, but is amazing. And, mm-hmm. yeah. So you're ta- that's called social proof, by the way, in the in like conversion industry talk. Like if you're designing a website, you want people to trust what you say in your headline. Yeah, yeah. You like you, like, you, a like what are the what are the best uh, stretchable shoelaces? And you go on yeah. Amazon, and then do you want the the maker to tell you that they're very stretchy and and good yeah. or you won't believe? Yeah, the, the famous yeah. who's who's the famous Ray's original pizza in New York? There's like twelve of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think this started you know way way back at, at the dawn of advertising or promotion of any kind, which is like the snake oil salesperson. Yeah, over advertising, it, uh, the cure all. Like it'll, yeah. you know, if you've got. Well, that's fungus, how Coca Cola started, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll, so I guess it worked out for them. Tired, got COVID, fungus yeah. on your feet. Try Coca Cola. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just cocaine, and it did make you feel good. Yeah, that was one case where the what they said was true. Yeah, <laughs> and the story of. But here, here's a, maybe Coca Cola is a good example. You could say, okay, they, they, it's it's bad for you, it's unhealthy, it makes you more thirsty, so you need even more, it's it's addictive, it creates diabetes, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But it is a very tasty beverage. Like, I don't think there is a more delicious sweet drink than Coca-Cola still. Like, I, I just... Mm-hmm. But you, say, you I keep think, saying Coca-Cola when you're referring to a category known as cola. You know, there are many different no, no, types of No, no, I'm talking... No, no, there are not many different... There's only one. <laughs> You're, like, Let's literally be real. repeating their advertising. No, no, but but come on. Even that, that German alternative Coca-Cola, I don't... What I'm trying to say is, okay, Coca-Cola is good at promotion, but also the recipe is unbelievable. Mm. Like, I, 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 I've stopped um, eating anything sugar. Uh, not, not, like... If 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 there's uh, sugar in the sauce in a pizza, I'll have it. But I'm not having dessert anymore. I'm trying that for a year. Yeah. So I won't have any Coca-Cola. But you, do you like? I mean, you have to admit it's better than Pepsi. Yeah, but I, I mean, blind taste us would disagree. But the one, like the thing I would say is, I've um, done the blind years <laughs> ago in in the Netherlands. I think I was twelve or something. Pepsi had a stand and they had the blind taste test, and I was like, I like this one, and it was Coca-Cola. Mm. A friend of mine uh, a long time ago. An artist uh, reverse engineered the the recipe for Coca Cola, and it's actually oh. quite it's quite unique and quite difficult. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's so maybe my point is I think a lot of artists have this feeling, oh, I have all this amazing work, and if only the world knew. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a couple of examples of of people that are vastly underappreciated. And I think the last year, like I spoke about in the episode, there's been women artists that were ignored and that made amazing work. Mm-hmm. So. Sometimes it just takes time. But overall, I think... Uh, well, there's there's a saying. I think it was... Uh, Ken Casey, is that his name? Who, who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and he had that hippie bus. Mm-hmm. 
And he, he had this saying, uh, the cream always rises. So that's the idea that if you make good work, it will surface. But he says f- turds also float. Yeah, you're making a good point, which is... Um, well, Ken Casey made a good point. Thi- yeah, that well, but all things being equal, things are unequal, right? Uh, but with within that Coca-Cola story, let's assume that all colas were equal. Um, there would still be uh, a winner. Like someone would still be... Um, well, there's that, there's that, and I, I think that saying the real thing is interesting. Um, I, you notice this with children, like at some point they want, I remember my parents gave me the Alice in Wonderland book by the original author and not the Disney version. Mm-hmm. And I was six or seven and I was bummed because to me, the Disney version was the real one. Mm, you wanted the racist version of it. <laughs> well, the guy was also a pedophile, so it's all pr- problematic. But right, right. The, 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 my, with anything, like, do you want the fake Beanie Babies or the real one? And I think yeah. this is imprinted on children very early, and and it's very similar to religion. Like, oh no, the, those gods are not the real gods. Our god is the real god. And so this this idea of a category and a winner and what is so yeah. with abstract expressionism what you have on your wall is not the real one the real real one you couldn't afford it yeah yeah it's interesting and so then as a community you have to decide like anyone who's interested in art from the 50s and then everybody agrees yeah de kooning and jackson pollock those are the real deal and then and it's it's changeable over time like we might change history but overall it's like Who's the real rapper? Who's the real author? Who's the real filmmaker? Yeah, which is yeah. ironic given like how unknowable reality is. Like we're how exactly. many years of the like, postmodernism? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think it's very clear with with art that no one knows what good art is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are that's these the fun of it. Like, no one knows, but narratives uphold various realities, right? And that's what advertising ultimately is interested in: is in upholding narratives that become socially accepted to the point where Coca-Cola is taken for granted as the best, right? And it's interesting to note that Coca-Cola was in the front, what you know, got in front through various mechanisms, but one was through the American military by by having a contract yeah. to open yeah, yeah. plant bottling plants on military bases. That gave them global expansion. And then that gave them their first advertising but still, emotional benefit, which I have was this, bringing the world together. I, um, I understand that, and yeah. that's all marketing, but I still think they had the best tasting beverage. I so none of it would have worked without good tasting. Yeah, and, and so and I think there's a thing someone called it once art rage. Like you go in a gallery and you think, this is so stupid. Why the fuck are they appreciated? My work is much better. Fuck them. Mm. And that feeling. I haven't and, felt that in a long time, but yeah. No. Well, you ha- probably haven't been to a gallery in a long time. That's but, true. <laughs> but the, I think there's a longing for people for justice and that the best work surfaces and is appreciated the most. And I think with any category, perhaps in art, it's the most confusing. Like, why is that better than that? And no one knows. And it's it's this, a few gatekeepers deciding and it feels random and... So I can understand that's very painful for a lot of people. Like, oh, why is this work better than that work? I don't agree. And yeah, I should correct yeah. the reason I, you know, I often don't feel that rage. The rage I'll feel is like, why is this story being privileged no. over that one? You know, but yeah, 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 yeah. But, the work I, itself, but what I mean, you know. what I mean with um, with food or even with pop music, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a more democratic distribution, and you don't need a lot of 
previous knowledge and there's not an atmosphere of like you're not good enough to have a point of view on this yeah. i think art very often when you ask people what do you think about art they're like oh i don't know enough about it but when you ask people what do you think of this movie they they feel very comfortable giving an opinion that's a very good point if you know so in that in those rel- in relative terms to the question it, it's hard for social proof to exist outside of the gatekeeper yeah. within yeah, the realm yeah, of yeah. art so you need exactly. these like you need these like professionals <laughs> <laughs> but it's it. it's it's changing right, right now and i think the last mm. 20 years I, I think the market has become a more um authority than critics and then mm-hmm. maybe now the internet has become more of an authority than critics so it's not the 50s right. anymore where you have yeah. two Clement, writers saying yeah. this is art yeah and, clement and greenberg doesn't really have it there's no like equivalent necessarily yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 but then all that being said to our audience, I think our audience is not just artists, it's all kinds of creators and people doing things. And then how do you let the world know what you're doing? Oof. And I, I, it's always this, this, um, I understand very much that people want a tip and like do this, post your posts at this time of the day and uh, buy followers on this website and mm. guaranteed success. But I don't think I've we got have a hot the take. answer. Yeah. I mean, you're going to disagree with my hot take, but I'll, I'll explain one strategy that I use almost every time I launch a project. And then you can tell me if it's bullshit and I should have been doing it a different way. But like, first of all, I will always line up a partner that is not, that has a different audience, like not a different audience, but an, a similar audience that is not me. Like, so I need like an institutional partner. Um, so that might be a gallery, that might be a curator, but someone I need a partner before I can launch a project. And that's how I get my first like credibility. Like so, so-and-so is working with but me. But you, you didn't have that in the beginning. In the beginning, I might, I, I would, yeah, it's true. I, but I found this over time that I was more successful if I could line up, you know, partners around my practice. It's that, funny that, that you say that be- yeah. because I've always, I, I remember when blogs came out and then people would start, a platform to give voice to artists for mm-hmm. for artist writing. Sure. And I was always like, what are you talking about? There's free hosting any anywhere. You can just post something. But there's something about feeling invited. Yeah. And by the way, no one's very seldom has anyone ever said no. And now I work uh, right now. I'm working on a project with the, the collaborating you, with Kristen. them. Yeah, Kristen's sneezing upstairs. <laughs> but I'm working on a project where. I've probably got like 15 people that I'm collaborating with simultaneously or, you know, creating work with. It reminds me of that SNL sketch with the hip hop video with too many guest collabs. Yeah, they, totally. they start the intro. This is young, this, this is little, this. And then but before they strat- got through the intro, the, the song is over. I think it's a great point, but like, that's my point, which is that that's one strategy. So one strategy yeah. is like, it, to help bring others up and to bring yourself up, you can yeah. like share audiences. Well, I, I want to expand on that thought because... Um, there's always the cynical view and then there's the view that, of actually making the work better. I also enjoy so, doing it, so yeah. Yeah, but like you said, oh, this, it can be an empty shell, just like retweet my thing and then it has validity. Mm-hmm. Or you collaborate with someone with a musician or a filmmaker or a writer and the work becomes better and you enhance your audience, both. So I, I think always, like if it makes the work better, it's better. Well, that's been my attitude towards it because I've obviously done solo work, but I often have sought out collaboration, including this podcast, where yeah. the other person makes me better and vice versa. Hopefully, you won't admit it, but whatever. Like, so like we get, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. Kind of, we get to somewhere different. 
Yeah, um, but but also the more examples of maybe you do a residency in a this. I'm sure a lot of people are like listening to this and then getting very frustrated because they don't have a residency or they don't have an institution. But mm. at any scale, if you have someone with a better video camera than you do, or you have someone with a better printer, or someone with a studio that has a certain light, or whatever, anything that makes the work better, like collaborating with a sound designer, collaborating with a printmaker, uh, doing something with a dancer, or whatever. If, if the work, you know. yeah. But now, here's the tricky thing that I always get very confused. Whatever we say, I'm like, the opposite is also true. Well, what I just like, described too also. Working really with works, people yeah. is a distraction. You should yeah. always be by yourself and focus. Don't let other people tell you what to do. Don't yeah. fall for the marketing crap. I don't, I don't it, think it's binary. That's, yeah. But that's why I'm, I'm always really uncomfortable with these uh, how to be a famous artist. No, I know. But like if you're, for example, if you're writing a grant or if you're trying to get a show... And you're like worried that people aren't going to, you know, think you're credible because maybe it's a new region or something. For example, say I was to do a show in Norway, which has happened, and I didn't have a Norwegian partner who said, "Hey, this guy Jeremy is pretty famous in Canada." <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Um, well, that's what the CV is for. Yeah. So exactly, but the CV complemented by a partner saying, "No, no, no, we believe in this person, and here's how. This is why it's important in this region, or you know, in this in this forum." That has. I will just say, like, always been true, including at the very, very beginning of my career, um, in terms of, like, I remember when Rhizome first wrote uh, a story about me. And for for the internet kids out there, Rhizome used to be, like, the Clement Greenberg of internet art. <laughs> um, don't quote me. I mean, you can quote me on that, actually. But, like, the, yeah. and they still have some authority. I'm not saying... I don't even want to say it's diminished authority. They're just other, you know, things have changed. Well, I think the the difference is when they started, they were the only one, and now there are multiple, yeah, uh, yeah online Pepsi archivers and tastemakers and platforms, and it's it's expanded. Yeah, yeah, but that article, like you know, helped launch, um, you know, my career in a lot of ways. Like I had way more, I met way more people and did way more stuff, and more people found out about my work enough to get me the ball rolling. You know, and it, I already had a ball rolling, but it, it accelerated the roll. Yeah, sure. it's hard to say what piece of the puzzle. And, yeah, yeah, but I just always recognized it, and I remember I ran into like it was Marissa Olson that wrote the piece, and I ran into her at a party, and she she thought she knew who I was, but I know there was no way she did. So she kind of like was just being nice. And <laughs> you walked up to her. You don't know who I am. Well, I no one did. Like so, mm-hmm. she was just being really kind, uh, or either that or socially anxious. She's she's the one who coined the term post internet. Well, there's like debate. I'll get, let's give it to her because she helped me out. But Gene McHugh yeah. will also, you know, was also writing about that at the same yeah. time on his blog. Yeah. So, but the the so maybe the premise or the thesis. What I think there, there's people with undeniable talent, and there's people with no talent, and I think the people in the middle are the ones who really benefit or uh, uh, suffer from lack or too much marketing or benefit from marketing. So I think if you're someone like Aphex Twin, it, it doesn't matter. Like that work would always surface. But then there's there's stuff in the middle that if it didn't get promoted, it's underappreciated. And if it did get promoted, it might be overappreciated where you're like, mm-hmm. this song isn't that good. Why is this? And it's just pushed onto you. Well, uh, like, yeah, I think I have a bit of a backward thing in terms of like, you know, if we answer the question around what makes me cringe, it's like, even though my I have this famous new media artist persona, my attitude is 
is a little bit the opposite, which is like, I, I hate the idea of applying for things. I like things to come to me, not to have to go and, go and chase them. Well, I, that, yeah, that's yeah. maybe the argument. Like if you're always chasing clout and, and working on stuff, you're not focusing. And maybe if you would do an A-B test and do two lifetimes with some kind of time machine, mm-hmm. and in the one you focused on the work and gave promotion 10% of the time, and in the other one you gave promotion 90% of the time and the work suffered... It'd be interesting to see what the outcome is, but it's, well, yeah. it's so complicated. In marketing, they have this, you know, these concepts of like, you know, um, organic versus inorganic, right? So organic is like opportunity that comes to you. And the way to generate organic attention is through creating quote unquote value. So to your point, Raf, it would be like create incredible work. And it's a, it's a little bit of like, you know, if you build it, they will come, except that it's never for you never build the actual thing you build things around it that people understand like yeah. blog posts and things like that or little tools that they might use um and then the inorganic is like you go and you like grab someone by the neck and say hey you got this problem then you need me right like and yeah that's you pay for that attention um it's expensive because you do have to do it at a high enough volume because the number of people that like being grabbed by the neck <laughs> and told what you know they they need that it's just not a very accurate science even in the era of the internet by the way like it's just you can generate a lot of volume but actually getting people to pay for things is still a, a tremendous challenge and mostly because there's so much choice in the world and that's true of yeah. artists as well it, yeah I, I always think of uh there's a documentary about the ramones mm-hmm. and they really saw themselves at the level of the rolling stones and uh they were always promoting and, and, and touring nonstop. They basically toured for their whole lifetime. Yeah. And they were like, why are we not selling out stadiums? Our songs are so good. And they got more famous after they died when H&M started printing their shirts, probably not paying them. Um, well, that, and, yeah. and then you look back and it's like, did they need more promotion or were they just... Well, here's my argument. To to? My yeah. point would be that they were actually doing a kind of inorganic advertising or organic a yeah, little bit of a mix but, but, but it's also but no but the point is simply that they were building brand recognition which is to say that's like the other form of yeah. uh and i know that 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 word makes everyone squirm but what it means in in its heart of hearts is that they they were doing something different but with the belief that by being different there would be enough other people in the world that yeah. would be like hey i want to be like that that yeah. over time they would start to do the work for them, you know, of advertising, which is well, what that, happened, right? I think the documentary was called "End of the Century," and yeah. it, it, it's is a it, it's a very meaningful documentary to me because it, there's this dichotomy of of success and also having a dark personality and not being cynical and also seeing everything as bullshit at the same time. Yeah. So they had great success in in Mexico and South America, and. Uh, then they would get back to the States and be in a club and there'd be like 500 people. But elsewhere in the world, there were legends. And they just weren't happy no matter what. Mm-hmm. It was just this... Uh, and I think a lot of artists just feel like... Um, maybe maybe the best example is online promotion is, of course, anyone can do it. Like You just get some tutorials and, like, okay, slam Instagram five times a day, whatever. But the thing I think that really works in the art world is the personal relationships and writing and, and being seen as an intellectual authority. Hmm. And that means a lot of 
meeting people, getting drunk with them, and mm -hmm. revealing secrets. And it's really like a secret society. It's it's not like the influencer culture. It's 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 more like oh, we've been guarding the secret for four hundred <laughs> years, and I will open the door for you slightly. And I yeah, yeah. I, I'll 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 agree. Up until like the point. fine, fine, fine art world. With, but know. I've actually had like good friends in the fine art world who at a certain point, you know, at least we get to the point where they're like, this is why I won't show your work. <laughs> yeah. um, and then other ones who are like, yeah, we definitely have to work on something together. And honestly, that's because th there's a conversation. You're right. That's happening behind the scenes where you're kind of learning where they're trying to go. And then you, it's a, another collaboration story. Bless you, Kristen. Bless <laughs> We've you. got a lot of partner clatter today. Um, but um, hashtag pandemic. Um, <laughs> that pandemic life. Yeah. Uh, but like, it, I, don't th I don't think it's easy to just, I would have been, I am definitely, I've made so many works about the gatekeeping and institutional power that I can't ignore your position. Like, but there's also some, some work that I've done over time, I think I've shared this with you before and on the podcast where I've met people very early in their career while they're in school, actually, is the most common place that I that I meet, like curators, as an example, as gatekeepers. And a percentage of those curators or gatekeepers progress to an institutional level. It's just a yeah, matter that's of like wild. numbers. It's, it's really funny because you're 25 and someone says, I'm a curator, but they haven't done shown anything. anything. Yeah, they're they just like, yeah. all they have is a laptop and some bookmarks of works they like. And then like, a couple of years later, they're like, running a museum. Yeah, no, I mean, that's happened to me like a dozen times. Um, yeah, and but so, you really, when you're 22, <laughs> you really don't think like, oh, yeah, this person will run the Guggenheim in a few years. Well, in all of those cases, though, I, I tried to help those people out early on. And because I was helped early on, it was sort of like... So the relationship stuff does matter. And I think that's... Yeah. I don't think that's cringy. Like, if, But if I say it like that, like... Oh, yeah, you know, relationships, you know, business yeah. is all about well, relationships. Well, there, there is a networking. cringe factor there. There's a cringe factor there that um, when the social and the professional overlap, because you grow up and you're like, you're five years old, you meet someone and we're like, we're best friends. Mm -hmm. and, and you really are at that moment. And I don't think there's a lot of professional strategy at that moment. You're just like, uh, you like stuffed animals. I like stuffed animals. Okay, we're best friends. Yeah. But yeah. then over time, no you risk. start to get more strategic or calculating, even if you don't admit it. Like, why are you getting a coffee with this person and not with that person? And, yeah. and then you get into these weird things where you thought you were friends and then your work goes in a different direction and you're not in touch as much anymore or the other person's too busy. and This isn't going to help me. Why would I work with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and, it, it, and so that's a, that's a side. I think if you just... If you go 100% like, well, this is all business, and whenever I smile, that's a calculated move, or these are all friends, and I don't want work to get in. The, it's, it's, it's very difficult, I think, that part. Yeah. No, like, I, I think subconsciously you are nicer or give more attention to people that you get something back, even if you don't think you're insincere. No, I, I have a, I had, I, I, I have the, I've had this experience. I had it last week, you know, where, like, Someone that I like, almost collaborated with a few years ago, they've become a little bit, you know, they're, they're more advanced now. I reached out to them, hey, do you want to work on something? And they're like, not this time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but, but it's like if, if you yeah. go into a room yeah. and you see two friends that you haven't seen in a long time and one of them just became a head curator at an institution and the other one gave up in the art world and decided to get into gardening. Yeah. And then either... 
yeah, like what? Who do you talk to at that moment? And and maybe the the, the curator, there's more to talk about. You have more in common, and maybe yeah. the gardening person is more interesting, and you're afraid to talk to the powerful person. This is the cringy ballet section, yeah. and also yeah. like there's a point in your career early on where people want to help you because they were helped, and then there's a point later where it's your colleagues and peers and stuff. And there's been some hierarchy, some stratification of hierarchy, right? Like yeah. some people are at different levels and it's like, no, 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 we're not in the same club anymore, my friend. Um, yeah. So but, that can but happen too. One of the examples I think of is, um, I, I love Peter Halley's work and this kind of dystopian abstraction. It, it looks abstract, but they're all kind of connected prison cells and symbols of modern life and in neon colors. And I spoke to someone who, uh, he was his teacher for a while. And I was like, what is he like in person? And he's like, oh, he's definitely a person who will walk into a room and see whose person, which person is the most powerful and then talk to that person, like always. Mm -hmm. And maybe not thinking about it. And that's what I meant with this, our successful artists always hustlers. It doesn't mean that he's online all the time saying like, yo, check out my new drop. Yeah. But he's a person who is not afraid of finding the most relevant person at that moment and, and see social interactions as part of his work. Um, and, and I think whether it's Marina Abramovich or James Terrell or whatever, I think most of the, if, if you do a study, they're all probably people who will directly go to what will help their mission. Yeah, but this is going to be true in business as well. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. And and I yeah. think there's a romantic view of the artist just being like a fun person and just yeah. doing whatever. And being, I think that's like the folk the folk artist by the side of the road image of the artist, which is like, you know, they're just yeah. going to keep painting hubcaps and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> someone's and going to come along. Those people them. sometimes also break through. So there's no there's no telling. But yeah, my my in my experience, just the someone told me they went on some kind of residency and Oliver Eliasson was there and but it, there were collectors there and also artists and the collectors really just wanted to hang out with the artists and get drunk mm -hmm. but Oliver Eliasson was just straight up working all the time it's just like digging rocks and specimens and taking photos he didn't have any time for social he's just like oh I have to explore this terrain and this climate and uh, yeah yeah I know I do remember that from my first residency I went to I think I've said maybe I've, maybe what what I'm trying yeah. to say sorry to cut you up but that Big artists are very professional. Like, I, I don't think there's many exceptions. Well, yeah, I think that's a good point, which is you can't just do the networking thing because then you come off as like, you know, just doing that and there's no substance behind the communication, right? So yeah. I don't well, think that that strategy works show. on its own, yeah. right? Yeah. You'd yeah. actually have to have something that the person, you know, is interested in and has value. Um, yeah. No, the well, thing then I was going to say is... to relational aesthetics where you're like, I don't really <laughs> want to make work. Let's just network. Well, that, you know, relation, I, I, having made relational works, I think it's more complicated than that. And But you're right, where like the connections inherent in the work are part of the aesthetic you're presenting. So I always thought of, of, of relational aesthetics as the most decadent uh, form of art. <laughs> it's like, I don't even have to make art. I know these people, so they already like me. Yeah. Well, in fact, they like me so much that I'm going to I'm going to make fun of them in the art. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to pay me for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think the the thing about work versus socializing even in a residency concept context does resonate with me because um 
in the residencies I did early on, I p- would put like so much of my attention towards work and I'd completely ignore the social because they're like, who are these bozos? Like they're not making anything. And I was, de- I just found it as like a factor of respect for the residency and the craft. I should be making things, but what um, a wild idea. Yeah. No. And I think that that's true. However, to, to be in a place like for a residency in a new place and to not try and connect with the people that created the scene that you're integrating in, is a missed opportunity because you might be missing augmentations or information that would make the, the work stronger. Um, yep. And those partnerships that I talked about earlier where, you know, in, in subsequent residencies and, and experiences I've had have actually unlocked, you know, new ideas and new concepts that I find valuable. But again, it would not be black and white. I, I, you know, I think the artist that's yeah. like not talking to the locals seems like a really outdated. And, um, and um, one of the things that's funny is, uh, about self-promotion, that musicians usually have a stage name yeah, and that artists don't do that. And there's a lot of names that are just hard to remember. Artists do do it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. less. Yeah, a little less. Yeah. yeah, but, but if, uh, Oliver Eliasson is an example that it Terrible. took me a few yeah. years to remember that name. It's very difficult, but... That's it an worked example. out. Yeah, of a brand I don't think he suffered. Yeah. That is a terrible brand name, but some yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like Picasso that's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he had yeah, ultimately I don't know, you know, I don't know much about how he was able to succeed. Obviously his work's very conceptual in nature, so by definition, but it is instagrammable. That's one of the things that I think Well, maybe <laughs> maybe like, this is uh, maybe it was one of the things I think that really works is when your work is recognizable. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can spot it, like, oh, yeah, that's definitely an Olafur Lysen installation. Because then you get what's called attribution, right? You don't have no, to- but it, like, I, I think that's like, uh, someone set up this game, and it's like, try to find something that everyone can recognize. That's basically the game. No, but I, what I mean is, in the history of art making, like, you, you know, there's the cringy thing of, at one point, people put their name right on the canvas, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And so the idea of having um, your name on the canvas eventually became like, why do you have to do that? Like if your work was truly unique, you wouldn't have to put your name on the canvas. Right. So that became, yeah. it's also when you start doing things outside of a canvas. So then if you do a performance, do you write your name on the floor? Yeah. Well, I was talking to my mom and she was like, Jeremy, you know, we knew you were different in school because (laughs) you like, I, we'd have to convince the other kids to like sign their work, but you would like make work and put this huge signature in the corner. <laughs> but yeah. I, I like, I, I don't know. I've always been fascinated with how people attribute, like if you did good work later, whether or not it's attributed to the person who made it or not. And in branding, they often have this attribution is like a, a core factor of, of branding, right? Like if I'm doing things and I'm wasting energy and then all of the attribution goes to my competitor, that's not spending any energy or money it's it's considered wasteful. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it is a bit of a zero-sum game when you think about it that way. It's almost like cultural currency. Um, I don't think so. I think that the art world as a whole has expanded so much that it is not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. I think when you there's think of art in the 50s, 60s, there's like, there were six galleries that decided everything. And now there's like a million galleries, a million art fairs, a million platforms. There's... Uh, Deep, from deviant art to art Basel, there's so all many kinds ways of ways to be famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think visual images and and visual language have expanded greatly in in people's mm-hmm. lives. So I don't think it's a zero sum game at all. I think there's room 
for people like uh, Beeple and Marina Abramovich at the same time. Like there's there's room for a lot of different things. There's not one truth. Like this is art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't disagree with that. Yeah, but as far as self promotion, one of the things, if you're really going for the art history fine art mark, I think a lot of people have to intellectually frame your work. And sometimes the artist can do that by writing themselves, and sometimes, usually, it's someone else mm-hmm. to say, "Well, this this is why this obscure gesture is relevant." And and maybe what I'm trying to say, there's a yeah, they put it in context. Text. Sure. Yeah, but there's a text by uh, Theo van Dusburg, who was part of the Stelle with Mondrian. He was an architect and theorist and painter, and he said part of the problem is that we're so deep in our research, we're doing this every day, and we're like talking about whether we can have diagonals or only straight lines and, and, and fight about that. And you're kind of in this research that the world hasn't followed, but you're 20 years into this. Mm. And then you have to somehow communicate all the steps, all the work that went before and why you arrive at this end point. But the end point is not relevant. And it's, yeah. well, it took us 20 years of looking at a tree and reducing it to lines and then reducing it further and reducing it further. And you arrive at this grid and how do you communicate that? And and he was saying, uh, at the time he was frustrated with art writing, and I'm sure every artist is frustrated with art writing, but the, if you say it yourself, it's just not believable. Well, I've written, like, uh, there's one essay that I that my practice is kind of based on that I've, I've published a couple times. And I can remember, like, presenting it, like, at the end of my graduate studies, <clears throat> and my professor being like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's like, you've never mentioned any of these theories in class. But what, you know, in retrospect, what it has helped me do over the years <clears throat> is um, is remember, you know, kind of where I started and what the kind of core uh, concepts were. Because as you get, like, build up a body of work, you can do that in reverse, which is like the way a lot of folks do it too. And, they'll, and it'll be someone else writes about it in reverse, right? Like, Oh, oh my god after 30 years looking back at you know marina's works we can tell that it was about this or you can project into the future as the artist or even a writer can help you do it but but rarely. she's an extreme self-promoter i think well she that's like where i would any say any part marina's, of the day she's like call all the newspapers i have something to say <laughs> and marina would probably have projected the position she's in now you know 30 years ago she would have said this is what it's all about and i'm going to do this yeah, for the next this 30 is years. my truth follow yeah. you know well that's that belief thing yeah, well, she's just like, oh, you you don't need reasons to believe. Just like, just pay attention for the next thirty years. So it's definitely like a more projected brand image versus like, <laughs> I waiting, got this. Yeah, versus just waiting for it, someone else. Yeah. Um, and and even like you know we've talked about Chris. Do you Burden, like her works? Well, her early work, which is like such a cliched thing to say, is really elegant. Um, you know, a lot of the the work she did in collaboration with her partner. But, but do you think? Do you think uh, she's a good example because she was. Uh, going into a new category, like maybe some other people were working with performance in the body, but she nailed it, and she she demanded she demanded the 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 category. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is my category. Okay. Uh, all you other guys, uh, whoever, anybody else, no, no, no. I'm I'm the performance artist. I think she really hammered yeah. down. Like, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to also make paintings or sculptures. I'm, I'm going to be pure, and I'm going to go all the way with this. And I think it's not a matter of whether she was born in the era of Twitter or in the era mm. of newspapers or whatever. She's like, 
this she wanted to be the Coca-Cola of performance. You know, you're making a really good point that is true of our of a previous um, question from a listener, which is the role of sacrifice in promotion. And so because her commitment to a different idea, like with great, you know, it took, takes a certain amount of like sacrifice and focus. <laughs> like I'm not well, going to be distracted yeah. by these other things. I'm going to say no to a lot of things. That's the Apple thing. Yes to the Steve right Jobs, thing. like a thousand no's to one yes. And mm-hmm. But but maybe the, my point is also that she seems very pure and she's the pure artist who rejects the market. But mm-hmm. at the same time, she's a very savvy marketeer who oh, yeah. hires publicists. Who almost who made a museum for always, herself. Yeah, who who builds an institute, like who's constantly also thinking of, okay, this is the work, but also how do we, how yeah. do we squash the competition? How do yeah. we hammer this into people's throats? And, it's hard not to uh, think of uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon. There was this great interview, yeah, 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 once where you know people were like, well, what was it like to you know be with John to Yoko? And Yoko, by the way, like obviously incredible Fluxus artist has like proven her worth but she uh in this interview anyway deferred on one thing to john which is she's like as a performance artist you know like i'd like do a little thing in my soho community and like i'd invite the neighborhood and we'd you know do my performance but then i'd bring that same idea to john and john would say why are you just doing this in Soho? we got to do in tokyo and soho and in berlin and and we got to buy you know all of the billboards in town and we got to put this message up on the billboards and then we got to invite the press and then but what's what's funny is i I guess after john was not there anymore Mm -hmm. she kind of lost that it's not in her this this aggressive self-promotion that marina abramovich has so i i think most people now in the netflix era they've seen the marina abramovich documentary whether you like it or not did you see the documentary now version of that doc oh of her moma stuff you know documentary now the the parodies of uh, uh, oh, no, other no, documentaries. Oh no, I haven't seen it. No, um, it's very funny. They have a sort of Maurizio Catalan <laughs> type of artist as her boyfriend, who's he's like, I'm faithful to her as long as she's next to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like the Playboy artist, and she's working hard. And I just they, at this point though, like, are you feeling like I think you're trying to make the point that Marina's reached the cringe-worthy promotion. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. The, the, uh, the cringiest thing is this Adidas commercial she did where she, she lets people carry, I think, buckets with bricks in them. And one line is like a single person and the other one is a chain of pe- people. And then you see that the chain of people is more efficient and says, you see, we have to collaborate and trust each other. And this is proof of that. And it's like, yeah, it's also like 10 times more people carrying it. Of course, it's faster than one person. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like and then the, at the com- end it's like Adidas the comparison that's interesting to me is like Yoko Ono is still making actually some pretty great work I like I saw yeah. a solo show of hers just a, yeah a, that's a good point before the pandemic and she's making she didn't me, go she, it seems like cringy. she could yeah she she's like a 90 year old woman that's producing and similar similarly Louise Bourgeois you know never re, you know reached that yeah. pinnacle of success but no, never you're, you're got into the right. cringe territory you know yeah just kept making good work and and, and with the Ramones it's interesting that they had this branding idea and i I mean i'm really a big big fan and i read some interview how they invented their look of the leather jacket and the jeans and it was all very planned thought out so they started out in the 70s and people were really into spandex and glam rock and david bowie and i think johnny ramon said oh 
that's a cool look, but it only works when you're super skinny. If you're five pounds overweight, you already look weird. Mm-hmm. So he invented this look, which was kind of like a 50s juvenile delinquent, uh, Chuck Taylors and uh, torn up jeans. And he's like, anyone, any age can wear a leather jacket and look cool. So he wanted the fans to be connected that way. And they started out that way as a sort of militant performance group. They don't talk to the audience. They play very fast. And as time went on, all the band members were like, well, the times have changed. Everyone's wearing blazers now, and people have a mullet and neon colors. He's like, no, this is the look. And they just kept that look for 40 years, never changed a single thing. And all the other bands that went into experimentation and all over the place, I... Both can work, but I think there was something very powerful about this is who we are. We don't care what anyone thinks ever. Like We might look ridiculous in the 90s, we might look ridiculous in the 2000s, and then at some point they look cool again, and they don't give a fuck. And I think you have to be, yeah, uh, of a, like uh, you have to be particularly different to do that well, because if you're part of a, a movement or a group, you know, like uh, I was talking about someone this with Kristen this weekend, actually, like say you're part of the grunge rock era, yeah, but you're you're yeah. not the grunge rock band, and yeah, yeah, yeah. things move on. If you're still silver chair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like eventually, you just get you become obsolete in that context because the you know all of culture has moved on, and you're you're still yeah. like no 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 look at me or like mm, we already decided it's Nirvana, not you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, well, you know, <laughs> there's a Canadian band you probably know called Rush. I watched the yeah. documentary; it's pretty good and. They're incredible musicians. They're like for music nerds. Like no one can play the bass like that. No one can play the drums like that. It's technical. But they were really bad at fashion. And then yeah. at some point in the eighties, they're like, "Yeah, let's all wear kimonos," because <laughs> no, <that's so laughs> they just they didn't. There was they're such nerds. They really deep down don't care about clothes. And then at some point, they let that image go. But it just didn't make any sense. There was no connection to them being from Canadian suburbs. And you know what we should wear? Kimonos. That's an example, though, of a band that I think is more about its audience than anything else, right? Like, yeah. And, um, yeah. Or fish heads yeah. are similar, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So understanding who you're for. Ultimately, though, if we're going to answer this this cringe versus not cringe question, I think there's no, it's been very difficult to get to like a, a binary, like this is good, that's bad. And we don't usually try and do that. But there are some things that are just I, I like don't universally... do it because I don't have an answer. It's not that I'm withholding information mm-hmm. out of fear of other people's success. It's no, just no. I know. really, I, I, I do feel like focusing on the work is the best strategy, but then you should at least let people know what you made in some form. Yeah, you gotta put you gotta put your name somewhere there, otherwise you won't get attribution. Yeah, so when you Someone's send an email, <laughs> put some link in the in the in the signatures so people can see more and preferably put your full name or some way that people if they google you they can find you and so if your email says joel and your handle is i'm not saying joel fox did this but let's say your email is joel and your email handle is uh joel9365 at gmail and there's no signature and then someone gets this email what are they they're going to google joel9365 and not find anything yeah, I also think you need to provide enough context or information to pique someone's curiosity. But the assumption that people know who you are, know anything about yeah, what you do, yeah, yeah. is should be like near nil on almost any like brand yeah, communication. Yeah, a, f- a friend of mine said this. It's very true. Never underestimate how little other people think about you. Exactly. Yeah, there's just too much information, too many people but, out there. But here's the thing that as I grew up and knowing the, the art world and the fine art world a little more, there's so much cringy stuff from all these artists that seem pure. So 
Douglas Gordon sort of relational aesthetics, whatever dude uh, from Scotland, very famous, uh, you know, high-end artist. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of his career, he would leave cryptic messages on curators' phone answering machines and like poems. Yeah. And it's such an ass kissery oh, yeah. to just go like through a Rolodex of the art world and then on the phone say, if time doesn't exist, why do we miss each other? And then just like yeah. cringe, cringe, cringe. It reminds and, me of when and, I worked in advertising, people would send their portfolios like as a plant. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see this plant portfolio. Like, I get it. You're creative. <laughs> there are a lot of, I get like yeah, last week I got a baseball bat yeah. portfolio. Like, <laughs> But maybe the, the, the point is like there's artists that, did really well that were really cringy in the beginning so it's it's okay to make mistakes well i've you know obviously like i've even had projects that were that were just advertising you know and chris burden who i love to cite like ran advertisements on cable tv um for a long time i think you can use some of these aggressive well that's a good example where where the the self promo is part of the attitude of the artist so he's like well advertising is weird and ridiculous in corporate but I have to promote myself and I'm going to use those crude tools and it will become a work. Yeah, that's the difference, though, I think, is it's like... Yeah, so it's he's, still, he's, it, he's, it, he's not saying yeah. on the advertising, hey, come see my show. He's using the ad as a native format. Well, I always used to like believe like if I'm going to give an artist talk, I should probably just perform. <laughs> because, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's that, like, why would I talk about the thing that I could just yeah. show you? Um, like there's, there's a, a there's show, a, don't tell kind of aspect. It, it reminds me, there's a story that Salvador Dali had to do an artist talk, mm -hmm. and he decided to show up in a diving suit, one of those <laughs> with a copper helmet, yeah. you know, those 19th century diving suits, because his message was so deep, so the only way to communicate <laughs> it is as if he was, you know, a thousand meters underwater. Yeah, but then it. what happened was the the oxygen line was, was tied up somewhere in the back, and he couldn't breathe, so he was in the suit going... <laughs> And people were laughing. They thought he was performing, but he was actually dying. And they, they opened it right on time. But that that is an example of self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, that's Like memorable. almost dying. I had a friend yeah. who was a you know pretty successful promoter and like public speaker. And he, he said, like, if you're going to be speaking at conferences and stuff like that, first of all, don't mistake that this isn't an advertising event. Like everyone here is just to kind of advertise their ideas. And as a factor of that, like your only job is to... to to be the most memorable person in yeah. this group by one factor. And if, and his thing was like, I always wear different pants, like weird pants, <laughs> but mm. like just the change in rhythm was enough yeah. to propel his message. Right. Because most people just shut off. And it, it is true that um, in my experience that people won't remember what you said, but they will. And it's cliche, but they'll remember how you made them feel. But, you know, ultimately that's conditional on like, what yeah. what are you what value have you created for that person like is it useful or and when i say useful like have you made them smile have you like improved their life in some way but just to ask yeah. ask ask and and i i do think that um i always think of this analogy of the night sky and there's so many stars that there's no way you could remember all their names and mm -hmm. that's kind of as an artist you think from the point of view of your creations and yourself so you're like of course everyone should know but from the audience point of view, there's a billion choices. Mm -hmm. And then we develop these constellations. So we develop structures like this is performance art and, and, and this is the Big Dipper and this is the North Star and it's right next to this or that. And so people need a kind of map. And so how, how do you position yourself in that map? Yeah, we just have that a makes very, sense. We, there's very little attention. It's the, the bottom line, unfortunately, is 
in this life will be lucky to get you know yeah. some attention and, and, and one way to do it is to uh, have a legendary story and say like yeah I I almost died underwater or I was shot nine times because I would do anything for art or, or like Kevin Beers I, I, just like stop at the peak of your career maybe yeah <laughs> or I, I ate 1200 cupcakes or yeah. whatever your thing is yeah yeah yeah, there's got to be, but there has to be a narrative, which we've always talked about, or some story that makes logical sense in, in order but, for people to remember. Because people do remember narrative first and foremost, right? Can you, can you think of an artist that is in their 60s right now that you know that is underappreciated? In their 60s, underappreciated. Like, did you really think the work is great and art history really ignored it? Well, I, I mean, I know people who are dead that, you know, have been ignored. No, no, that's the, like, but maybe 50s or 40s, but mm-hmm. just like, I, yeah, I know a lot friends. of people. I have lots of friends, for sure. Yeah? Well, where, but they've managed to carve out a niche or an audience usually at a certain okay, point. Okay, but people who really just make amazing works in a room and nobody has ever seen them. Mm, I don't know anyone like that. Well, you no. know, like, because they've stopped making them at a certain point without an audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know hobby at that point, they start to refer. I, th- in the, I hope this doesn't sound rude, but like sometimes people will stop referring to themselves as an artist because there's this pressure in the art world that to to like anoint oneself an artist without having certain accolades or status yeah. or recognition is. Well, it's a weird it, title to begin with because it's it's a profession, but it's also a compliment. So it, by saying I'm an artist, you're giving yourself a compliment. Yeah, I've always, I, I remember feeling weird about it early on. Like, I remember being in my master's and being like, hmm, should I call myself an artist now? Because I've like, you know, I'm putting a whole lot of time toward this, but I still didn't feel comfortable. Um, and also like education shouldn't be, is definitely not the gatekeeping mark. So it, it felt stupid. And I and I, at the, I think it was after, you know, several years of consecutive uh, exhibitions and things like that. And there was certain professional practices and, but even still to, to this day, I feel uncomfortable sometimes because it's not my only mode of work. Right. Yeah. And I found it's very confusing for my audience to find out that I work in like yeah. corporate leadership. For, for me, for me, it was important from the beginning to say it because I was operating mostly online. And if you said, you're not an artist, people just assumed you're a web designer. Like, Oh, I make websites. Mm. So, if I would meet someone like a whatever art person, probably kind of old, and I would say like, "Oh, I'm an artist. Oh, cool. What do you do? Well, I make websites." And they're like, "Oh, could you make my website?" <clears throat> yeah. Like, no, no, no. That's not the point. These websites are pieces of art. So I, that you I just think- described actually <clears throat> probably where we could have spent a whole podcast episode, which is like those two sentences or those two questions. What do you do? Okay. Yeah. Then you say an artist. Okay. Then what follows that sentence? Yeah. All of us, so everyone listening, I'm sure, has agonized over yeah. the contents of that line. Especially if you if you work in a known category. So you're like, Ugh. well, I do I do social sculpture, and then how is it different from anything else? And you can't really show it in documentation. And and then okay, here's the worst example that I ever had. Um, for some reason. I met this person who is a collector and friends with people in Paris, and she was friends with the granddaughter of Picasso. Ooh. And the granddaughter of Picasso and the head of Tefaf, the big art fair in the Netherlands, and this girl, and we're having a nice dinner. And they asked me, oh, what kind of art do you make? And I'm like, well, they're websites, <laughs> they're kind of weird. 
And the girl kind of to tease me, he's like, tell them about the finger piece. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and then there's looking at me, what is this finger piece? And it's this fart website that I made to pull my finger. And so I'm holding out my two hands, and I'm like, well, there's this quiet music and a red background and these two hands. And then, and then what happens? It's like, well, the one hand pulls the finger. And they, they're not English uh, first language, so they don't know the pull my finger joke. And I'm like, I'm like, and nobody laughs. <laughs> yeah, that's my work. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you're the granddaughter of Picasso. You don't get the joke. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, for a while, I, my answer to that question would, was like, yeah, I make I write software. And then people be like, oh, so how does that make sense? And I'd be like, well, you know how like software is supposed to be useful? Like, this is not. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's more like uh, stand-up comedy as software or something. I perform with it. And, and they would sort of get that, and I would be enough to get them interested. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, the sure. thing but you that, said about it being weird is something I've tried and failed at, you know, communicating many, many times. Because they, most people I talk to are just like, art is weird, period. Like, they, it's so opaque. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, trying to Lately, now that we all carry the phone, uh, I just pull out the phone and show a couple of images. Like, uh, someone asks, what do you do? I'm mm-hmm. like, well, art with computers. And then they're confused. And then if I just show three images, they're like, oh, I like color. And then it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I can remember yeah. when the iPod was, you know, before smartphones, um, they came out with a video version of the iPod. <laughs> And my artist friends who are video artists were like, finally, I can yeah. show people. And I remember thinking like, no, man, this is wrong. No. It's like, well, because those videos thing. are too long. Yeah. Well, and it's, t- yeah, it's tiny screen. Now, are you going to sit there while someone watches the video? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But if you show, if it you has show, to be glanceable. I think anyone has like uh, five, you should, don't show too much. And then just have five strong images. Just be brutal and like, look at all your images and be like, well, these are the five best ones. The indexes, yeah. And then just show the, it's it's it's, it's a book cover, you know? And it's like, oh, I'll read more later, but I just want to see the cover of the book. Man, I am cringing though, because like, you know, I'm thinking through, I, I haven't gone and groomed my Instagram, you know, like, and I know, and I, and honestly, like I now loathe Instagram for this reason, because it's become this, like, a lot of people just have five images, right? It's become their portfolio. Yeah. And, it's no longer this place where I, people are willing to share rough ideas. And I don't know. I'm, I'm worried. I, about I guess you can use stories for the rough ideas and, and the, the stills as the portfolio. Well, it's contradiction. It's a contradiction of my original statement, which is like people want to be embedded in the journey, you know, and engaged, but everyone is pivoted towards, no, I want to acquire the largest possible kind of attention and I don't know I, I don't this is a longer podcast episode but um, yeah. I'm deeply troubled by what the internet has become as like a promotional vehicle versus yeah. like one where we share in the development of new ideas um, but uh, but it, it it is funny like the ideal is is uh, you're a genius some uh, patron gives you a studio for your whole life and you just make things and other people show it to the world and you just everything you touch is a stroke of genius at all times and you just hit the piano and it sounds amazing and people are happy and but you know the only way you can do that right is either be a genius or do less (laughs) yeah you know like have one idea that you just repeat and people one genius idea (laughs) you're like oh my goodness how does he do how do they do that like a great character artist like wow yeah they really captured that i love tennis (laughs) i I mean (laughs) if you think like of someone like apex twin yeah 
he he came up before social media and uh, obviously is talented. And I'm sure there are nerds who are like, oh no, he took everything from this or that person, whatever. But but he made amazing music videos. Richard D. Uh, James, yeah. Is that promotion or is that the work? Because you could argue that that's the summary of, of his whole attitude. And I think yeah. the collaboration with Chris Cunningham, and I don't think you see those as commercials that lower the the brand or the perception of him as an artist. Like, oh, he's impure. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of bands that consider even the thought of making a music video is impure because it's only about the music. What was that band that for a while, like, they only existed because of their viral videos, like on escalators and stuff. Okay, go. I think they were called. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. It yeah. was like. Well, there's an example of good videos, but not memorable music. Yeah, the music was so, you know so bad, so they could only. They were yeah. really video artists trying to become. They were ad agency. Yeah, yeah, they're an ad agency. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think it's sustainable. But um, I think I think that era of music videos, like music videos, are TV ads. They're just three minute TV ads, but then. In the 90s, they elevated it to a place where... Mm-hmm. Because when music videos started, a lot of musicians, including Rush, are like, oh, we don't want to do this. We're musicians. Like, just let someone else do the video. We don't want to waste time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at some point, people were like, no, the, the, the band is a vision, and the music videos are a big part of that. So I guess in summary, if, to bring it back to artists, you know, get someone to write a book about you. <laughs> <laughs> Like make sure you marry a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of money. You you're perfectly groomed. I think uh, I think we're better off um, like stating our our own personal um, preference. And mine is just toward uh, and it, it's it, like it's just towards being kind in in my own community. And like and honestly, like it has been founded on a lot of relationships. And I and I I still believe that those are when they're reciprocal, not cringy. They're like actually just because i like working with these people and there's nothing wrong with having fun in life with great people like that's that's kind of what i've decided um and seeking out new ideas yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's that's kind of that's all i've got like that honestly and that's what's propelled most of my 20 years in in both business and uh art and when i don't like working with someone i've learned that it's probably never gonna work and I shouldn't do less of that. And so, you know, that's it. I had, you have to, like, yeah. I think you've told me a million times, like, just be yourself. But it's, and it's so cheesy, but that's the least cringeworthy yeah. thing you can really do. Um, and get yeah. known, be known for who you are, what you stand for, what your values are. Those don't change. Sorry, I don't have a simple answer. Like, uh, oh, always post at 5 p.m. Yeah. Oh, my God. I actually got asked that question the other day. And it's like, by the way, it's uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, according <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to statistically. But that makes it anyway. All that stuff's so stupid and it comes and goes. But the one thing. Yeah. And then the everyone thing, posts on Tuesday yeah. because of that. And then it turns out that it was a bad idea. Yeah. And it's just such a boring way to spend a life. Uh, I, I do think from what I've seen is uh, you need energy. That's really the thing. Well, you, I think you've also said like you don't you need the you don't want to have fear driving your decisions and anxiety driving your decisions you kind of want your decisions to be made based on where your energy comes from yeah. you know if you're yeah. tired all the time like as you started the podcast like probably not working on the right things mm. yeah all right well everybody thank you for listening and uh, i hope this helped somewhat hope we didn't confuse everyone well it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Uh, appreciate the yeah. question and keep the questions okay. coming.
Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. -bye.